Good afternoon, America, and good morning, Australia. It is uh, the top of the hour, and you're live with Radio Tony and a conversation in, with Kez. Now, for those of you listening live online on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, Payo is ready and waiting on the other end for questions, comments, and with website links. All the replays of our live shows are now available on Binge TV Networks Australia. Uh, sorry, US. And we now have our own Tony TV channel app on Roku, LG and Samsung. Now, this means that any time you appear on any of our shows, either Kez and my show, my own business show or in series of shows, you will be in front of millions more people. So Roku app alone has 40 million registered users. So the chances of being seen on Radio Tony uh, is magnified somewhat as of today. So that's exciting news. I love starting my Monday mornings because it's Monday morning here in Australia with the delightful Kez Wickham St. George. And our show is all about authors, writing and also artists which is particularly interesting today because we have an amazing guest who does both. Now, Kez Wickham St. George is the driver of her own creativity and her passion is to inspire and nurture others to tell their stories. Her values are simple. When you touch a heart, you can change a life. By encouraging you to write or journal, her belief is you will only value add to someone's life. Now, our guest today is the wonderful Denise Bosart. And Denise is a novelist, poet, award-winning photographer and artist. She's a certified mediation facilitator, a contemplative arts teacher. She has an information, she's an information technology professional. She has a BA in chemistry, an MS in computer science and a PhD in developmental neuroscience. She's also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Denise spent her her adulthood healing herself from the trauma and impact of sexual abuse on her life. She is not a health mental health professional, but she is a thriver who's traveled a healing journey and is able to share a personal guided experience with readers to find and engage in their own journey to healing and becoming thrivers. Thriving After Sexual Abuse is an eloquent and empathetic self-development book laying out a blueprint for survivors. Uh, She shares her own traumatic experience of childhood sexual abuse and she thriving provides tips and suggestions of activities practices and offers tangible strategies for readers to reclaim their lives and move forward to a life of thriving her it job helps keep the household running but in between she does amazing things including writing teaching photography going on photo shoots to discover the extraordinary in an ordinary life. Good afternoon, Denise, and welcome to the show. I've been doing all the talking so far, so I'm going to hand over to my amazing co-host, Kez Wickham St. George. Good morning, Kez. Good morning. From Perth, it's still very dark over here. So, Denise, <laughs> um, your bio just fascinated me, being a writer myself. I was, oh, good, we can get into some meaty stuff here. So (laughs) you 
<laughs> so you also do some, as we talked before, some poetry. Do you think your poetry has led you into self-healing as well? Absolutely. That's kind of where all of this writing of healing started. I had begun a yoga practice and was really learning more about how to be present in my body, experience my body in a positive way. And that sort of cracked things open because when you work with your body, you start to release some of those memories that you have and some of the trauma. And so I started writing poetry about my abuse and about my healing journey. And that's what really got me started writing around my story. Fabulous. I find a lot of poets, that's their gateway. That's their gateway into actually writing a book. Um, as, as we talked before, I, I wrote poetry with Japan, and I found that was, um, apart from the, the language barrier, we had a lot of fun. And it did open a few gates, emotional gates for me as well. So mm -hmm. with your actual, um, I haven't talked to you before, and I believe Tony has interviewed you before, mm -hmm. but with your... Um, with your books, how did you want to get it out in the public view? How did you go about it? Well, when I wrote my fiction and did my original poetry books, I just was deciding I would self-publish. And I had a friend who had gone through the process and was able to get his book out self-published. And so I learned a lot from him on how to do that. As you know, it's very challenging to find a publisher these days, mm. whether it's fiction or nonfiction. And, and almost in nonfiction, it can be harder <laughs> to find a publisher. Mm. So wow. I decided I would self-publish and that gave me full control over the whole process. I got to pick the cover. I got to pick, you know, my editors. I got to decide what platform it was going to be on. So there was a lot of control over that. And it is hard to, you know, get out there and get in front of people. But doing shows like this is one of the ways that we can certainly let people know about what's available to them. And that's what I'm trying to do is just raise awareness, whatever way I can to share it with people, particularly my newest book. I just really want people to be aware of the possibility of finding this book and beginning their own healing journey. I think why I I, um, I felt so much empathy with you is because all three of us this morning have all been sexually abused in some way or form. Um, not myself as a child, but as a very young adult. Um, yeah, mm. and it's not a pleasant experience. So I found writing was um, a very, very healing Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it was going to be a book. Did you realize that that one day there would be a book about your journey? Well, not at first. When I started writing the poems, my husband was very encouraging and said, well, why don't you share this with people? It could be really helpful for other survivors. And I was like, mm, you know, who's going to want to read a bunch of poems about abuse? I, you know, who's going to want to publish that? And I was like, uh, maybe not. And then I was also thinking, well, what about a memoir? But I'm one of those people who had the trauma brain experience where I don't remember a lot. And what I can remember just doesn't easily fit into a timeline of the rest of my life. And so I couldn't even imagine writing a memoir. And it wasn't until many, many years later that I learned about Dr. Larry Nassar and the gymnast, the Olympic gymnast in America and how he abused so many young women and at that point, something about hearing that story just cracked my heart open and it suddenly dawned on me, I may not have a memoir, but I have a story of healing and I can put that together and I can share how I did certain things that helped me and put together a book that could be a blueprint for other survivors. It's fabulous. Yeah. Tony, do you have any questions? 
I do. <laughs> I um, interviewed Denise um, last week and we had a wonderful conversation about the importance of telling these stories, even though they're tough to write and often tough to read. I absolutely believe passionately that by telling our stories, they cease to have power over our lives. Exactly. And it's also important for survivors to understand that they're not alone. And if more people were braver in writing their stories, then that gives the world and humanity more access to books that might help. And with Denise's book in particular, there's strategies and tips and activities that are really helpful in the healing process. Um, I think that uh, for Denise to be so to be so brave and write a memoir about sexual abuse is incredible. And I, I think that we need to keep encouraging anyone who's survived that sort of trauma to keep writing about it because the more we write about it, the more it shines light on uh, how these uh, crimes happen, what the uh, impact is on victims. Because we, we often talk about... Um, it, you know, it's quite a lot in the press about um, abuse, but we don't often talk about the trauma that it leaves and the healing process that you have to go through to get on with your life. Now, for many victims, they don't actually tell their stories, do they, Denise? No, and there's a lot of shame that victims feel. Yes. You know, a lot of people feel it's their fault and they, they're just too ashamed to share it even verbally with somebody. It took me a very long time before... I was able to start sharing my story, even with people who are close to me, yes. even with my family. And I really think what you're saying is powerful, that even if you're going to write it just for yourself, even if you're going to try mm -hmm. to process it, there's something about putting your thoughts, your emotions, your memories down on a page. Even if you're writing letters to people you never send, if you burn them afterwards, yes. whatever it is, it's a process yep. that really is very healing for you to I go agree. through. I agree. I think Denise, that's the way I started off. Sorry, Tony. I was just going to say, Denise, did you, you I, I know that I wrote letters and burnt them or wrote mm. notes and burnt them. Is that something you did too, Denise? I did write a letter to my grandfather, but it, it came much, much later in my healing process. And actually, yes. you know, we talk about forgiveness and, and in my book, I talk about forgiveness of myself so that I could have my own healing and the letter I wrote, but decided not to include in my book, that was a letter my grandfather was just a letter to say, you know, I just feel sorry for you. I'm sorry your life was so yeah. bad that you had to, to do this. You had to find a way to fill the dark hole in your soul by consuming these people in our family, these women in our family. And I just, I recognize that he probably went through some form of abuse himself. And that was something that he was um, carrying on into the family. But it's normally the way. Yeah, it just continues. And I just, I had gotten to the point where I just felt sad about it, that this was the only way that he could understand what love meant. And he was so disconnected from that. Um, but I think that, you know, I've written other letters that are just ex expressing things and just threw them away because there's something cathartic about putting on a paper yeah, yeah. and then throwing it away or burning it and seeing, you know, ha, it's done. I'm, you know, I've got it out. It's it's done. Yeah. Um, and, and that can be so helpful just to shift that energy out of you and just mm -hmm. say it's not part of me anymore. 
I'm, I'm really yeah, I think I think the burning part really excited me when I lit that fire and it was way, way you go. I don't need you anymore. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But Denise, you've got here, um, you've written books. Well, on your bio, I'm reading you've written poetry, you've written uh fiction books, and you've written a a series of art your way. So which genre do you really, really have a passion about? I enjoy all of them. Um It's, you know, it's like, which is your favorite child, right? (laughs) How are you going to pick, right? Um, And they're all different in in the way that I feel about them and how they came about. You know, the art books, I'm a photographer. So what I did is I put my photography into books and then just made it copyright free so people could use them in their their artwork. This was, I I produced those and self-published those before all the plethora of free uh, photograph sites arose. So but it was really part yeah. of it was for me that um, we had just survived the tax day flood here in Houston. And I was really struggling to try to find a way to heal from that and move forward. And I couldn't even pick up a camera and go shoot any photographs at that time. Oh. I was so traumatized. And I actually had lost my camera equipment, so I had to replace it. But I had all these digital images on the computer. So I started going through them and and I do a practice that's called so collage, where you're taking images from magazines or your own photos and you're putting them on a card and then you're journaling with the card. It's very transformational. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to provide some images that the group of, of people who engage in that practice could have. And so that's what I did. I just started gathering my, and I'm like, oh, I've got a group of rose images. I've got a group of beach images. So let me start putting the books together. And that way I was able to really heal myself from the trauma of that flooding and feeling like, again, I was going to give back to people that they could use my photographs and create these beautiful books, you know, because when you work with beauty and you work with art and creating beauty in whatever way that happens, that's really healing for you to do that. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of how all of those books came out and came together. And then the poetry, um, the one poetry book I put together are my little beach poems And that actually, those poems came at the same time in which I was doing that yoga work where I was writing poems about my abuse. So during the mornings when I could get to the beach and walk, I just see all these things and, you know, all the imagery from being on the beach. And I'd write those beach poems in the morning that had nothing to do with my abuse. And then at night, I would write about the abuse and just how that worked. And so I just decided to put the beach poems together and got together with an artist friend and for every poem. She created a watercolor. And so it was this beautiful little book that we put together. Um, nice. And then the the fantasy, I just had a dream one time when I was a little under the weather and, and it was the seed of an idea that stayed with me for a few years. And I mentioned my friend was writing his book. He wrote science fiction and he encouraged me to go ahead and explore this idea. So I started working on it and it's a supernatural thriller, paranormal suspense book. And of course you have, pieces of yourself in the book, pieces of people you know in the book. Mm-hmm. And so the the main character was really a, a younger, stronger version of me, <laughs> you know, and I actually went through the book and my friend told me, well, how are you going to write the villain? You need somebody that, that you could use for the villain. And I'm like, I've got a great villain in my life, my grandfather. <laughs> you know, So the villain has a piece of, you know, it's kind of loosely modeled after my grandfather and in the book this villain hurts young women several young women and for a while I was going to name those young women after the women in my family who 
he had, had abused. And I thought, well, that's just a little too close to home. So, you know, I finished the book and then it didn't dawn on me until after I finished the book that it truly was a fictionalized version of my abuse. That uh, my grandfather died when I was a freshman in high school and I never had the opportunity to confront him in any way. And so this book was had a piece of me in it, had the women in my family in it, had him in it. And in the end, we confront him and we win. And it was looking back after writing the book that I realized what had happened. You can read the book, you know, and never see any of that in the book. It's a fabulous award-winning fantasy book. But looking at it now, I'm like, wow, my subconscious was doing a lot of healing. Right yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think most of us, even <laughs> when we have been abused and we do write, it's the feeling of achievement afterwards that we have won the war. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I just enjoy being creative. I enjoy storytelling. And each of those genres has a, a different challenge, right? When you're writing fiction, you want to have a captivating story that's convincing to people, engages and draws them in. You want interesting characters. You have to have a story that pulls things together across yep. the, the plot. And so there's a lot of, of intricacy about the storyline that you have to work on in the characters. But with my nonfiction, it was really more structuring it and putting the pieces together in a, in a very different way. I didn't have to write it sequentially. I could work on whatever was easiest to work on at the time. And I had a clear vision for the structure and wanting it to be interactive, wanting people to grab a journal and answer the questions I put at the end of each chapter and wanted to include a piece of my story. And it was much harder, obviously, yeah. to write my personal story yeah. than it was the fiction. And I couldn't just start at the beginning and write through it. I had to jump around and I actually had to start with the questions for the reader first and then write my story that went with those questions. Mm. And the introduction where I lay out everything that happened to me, that came last. That was the hardest piece to write. Yeah. Okay. Yes. yeah. But, it, you know, I, I always kept going thinking this is going to help people. That was my mantra. That was my vision. That was my intention. And so I just, even if it was a paragraph, a week, whatever I could handle emotionally, I just wanted to keep yes. going. And my husband kept encouraging me. And, and I just thought, okay, what, however long it takes, I'm going to keep working on this because I know it can help people. Mm -hmm. And eventually it came together. And now it's out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an award-winning book. Well done. Yeah, actually, it, what's kind of funny is that there were a couple of um, book awards you can enter before you actually have published your book. So as an unedited manuscript, I submitted it to a, a couple of different contests and I actually made it to the quarterfinals of Book Life, a nonfiction self-help category. And Book Life is the independent division, independent publishing mm -hmm. division for Publishers Weekly. So that yep. was pretty amazing to me that yeah. I hadn't put it in front of an editor yet and it had won an award. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's fabulous. Yeah. So the... Um, um, you go, Kate. Carry on, Tony. No, you go, Tony. <laughs> I was just going to say there's something when you're – I did the similar process to Denise when I wrote my story and the hardest bits I left till last mm. um, because there's an emotional uh, – even as, as healed as you are when you decide to actually write that book, and usually you're at a, at, a, at a stage in your healing when you can – 
talk about it, it still takes it out of you in terms of emotional and physical, just getting those chapters out. Denise, was it like that for you? Did you oh. feel that toughness? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It was incredibly draining, you know, and it, it stirred oh, things up, as you can imagine, because I'm putting myself yes. back, you know, when I was in different ages and, and trying to write about the different ages and what I did when. And it was incredibly draining. That's why I literally, if I could write a paragraph at a time, you know, my fiction book, I, I'm a visual person. Yes. I would kind of see the, the scene of the chapter in my head. And then I just sit down and write it for two, three hours mm-hmm. on the weekend. And there was a schedule and I did that. And I tried to do that with the nonfiction. Ha, silly me. I'm like, oh, okay, I did that for fiction. <laughs> Let me do that for nonfiction. Easy peasy. Um, it blew up in my face. I got such writer's block. I yeah. could not make any progress. And it was incredibly frustrating because I felt like I was ready, but I was putting too much pressure on myself to do it sequentially yeah. and to do it in a particular time frame. And when I said, okay, let's just take it easy. Literally a paragraph is enough. And then I found this way to sort of dip into the questions for the readers first and that sort of thing. And then it eventually came together, but it was, it was pretty grueling. And again, yeah. I just kept thinking, you can do this, <laughs> you know, it's going to help people. And obviously writing something like that, as you mentioned, Tony, is is healing in and of itself. It's another level of healing that I was able to give myself by being mm. able to do that. And I part of the writer's block was not fear of sharing my story because I had um, told a few people, I had shared it with people, I felt I was kind of ready to go forward with it. But I guess I was afraid that it people wouldn't like it. You know, that it wouldn't actually do the benefit I thought it would have for people. And so there is this fear of not being able to succeed at the goal I had set for myself. And I finally just said, write it, forget what people are going to think. You know, some people are going to like it. Some people are going to be afraid of it. You know, just write it and giving myself permission not to have a schedule to jump around in the book, not worry about what people would think, slowly it opened up enough space for me to move forward and actually start writing and get the writing done. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. It's um, for all writers that write about abuse. It's what are people, what are people going to think? And they're going to boo hoo it or they're going to laugh at it. Or, you know, I was actually, when my book was published, I was actually asked to leave a house because they didn't agree with what I'd written. And I just, you know, that the, the, there was shock and then there was shame and then there was a little bit of joy that they had connected with the book, not in the way I wanted it to, but they had mm-hmm. connected with the book. You know, there's, um, and I find a lot of other women that have written about abuse, they feel the same way. They um, they, get, they get frightened. What are people going to think about this? Now, what about you, Tony, when you wrote about your abuse in your life? I was just going to say, didn't, didn't, and I'll, that was my next question for Denise, was there any family fallout? Because as Kev knows, there's been quite vicious family fallout. That's not been the experience from from other readers, like the letters from people saying, you've given me the courage to write about my own story or thank you for writing so vulnerably or lots of wanting to know how my daughter is, how it all turned out, that sort of thing. But the reaction from my family was, has been and still is really difficult to deal with because 
I didn't realise that my healing had actually surpassed their level of healing. So you can only from your own point of reference and healing. So if you've not done enough work, then reading a book that is very vulnerable is going to trigger you in ways. And so, Mm. and Kez and I have talked about this before, that you have no control over other people's reactions, but it is that idea that Denise says the greater driver is the help that you give for more people because it does help people reading your story does help people deal with their own trauma Denise was there any fallout in terms of family for you I know you've got a very supportive husband I've got an incredibly supportive husband so cares I couldn't have done it without him what about you yeah, I think for me, I was very, very lucky that I had slowly told people in my family over time what had happened. And when I shared it with them, I was believed and I was supported. And generally, the response was anger at my grandfather. Now, he had been dead for many, many years by this time. So there was a lot of distance for people and they didn't have to yes. be present and engage with him and have them active in their life. So that that was a situation that I think allowed them to be a, more willing to respond positively. And then when I started writing the book, at first I didn't tell my parents. I was like, I don't want to stir yeah. things up if I, I'm not going to finish it, right? Because I was in that state. I wasn't sure what was happening. And I told my sister and she was encouraging. And I knew I was finally going to publish it. I, I couldn't get a publisher. I tried doing that. And I said, you know, I'm going to do it myself. I know how to self-publish. So I got an editor I'm like, okay, it's going to take, you know, six months to a year to edit it. Let me get in front of my parents and talk to them. And kaboom, the pandemic hit and I couldn't fly. I wanted to do it in person. I couldn't fly down there. They live in Florida. And so I kept postponing the flight and rescheduling and rescheduling and the pandemic continued. And finally, it got close to publishing time. And I thought, well, I got to tell them because I don't want somebody they know to call them and say, oh my gosh, I you know just read your daughter's book. That would not have been fair at all. And so um, before I had gotten to the point of telling them, I had had the good fortune to have several articles that were published, uh, blog articles on Psychology Today, mm-hmm. talking about COVID overwhelm and how survivors are really impacted by that mm-hmm. and things to do like photography, yoga, and other mm-hmm. meditative practices. So I had sent those to my parents um, and knowing that they were articles that they could uh, be okay with because it was about healing and mm-hmm. it wasn't finger pointing. And my mom actually had written me back on one of the articles says, oh, I, I love what you said. I'm going to start using some of these techniques myself for my anxiety. And so I thought there's the foundation that, you know, these articles were yes. about healing and helping. So when I started the phone conversation, I said, you know, those articles I've written. Well, I've written a book just like that about how to help people. And we talked about what was in the book and they were so supportive. They were really excited for me to have done that. They got the connection with the articles that I had written and were just really proud that I was going to be courageous Mm -hmm. enough to talk about it. So Mm -hmm. I had an incredibly supportive experience. It was really wonderful. And I think that made it really easy to step into doing the final publishing. Mm, That's fantastic. So when you've... um, wonderful. When you've, I'm trying to read your bio as I go along here. Um, how does it make you feel as an author when you get the praise, when you get that wonderful praise for your writing? How does it make you feel? Well, some of it, you know, I, I 
reached out and got a lot of endorsers for my book myself, you know, I was since I was publishing it myself. And every time someone, you know, these were mental health professionals, these were yoga teachers, they mm-hmm. were therapists, there are all kinds of different folks that were mm-hmm. responding back so genuinely um, sharing their thoughts and so uh, generous to endorse my book. And every time they came, you know, you're pinching yourself. It, are they really saying all that mm-hmm. great stuff about my book? It was really yeah. hard to believe my, my husband's like, yes, honey, you wrote a good book. You know, my editor uh-huh. was over the moon over my book. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still like, you know, I have a hard time with praise, a hard time with, with people being mm-hmm. saying good things. You know, I'm getting better. I was really bad when I was young. I'm getting better, you know, to be able to say, okay, thank you. I, you know, but finally I got to thinking, well, I think it's a good book. I really believe it. Look at all these people are telling me this. It's a good book. It's going to do what it was meant to do. And mm-hmm. I finally decided, you know, this is the best writing I've ever done. This is wow. the best writing. And yeah. so I, I still get a little nervous when, you know, someone is going to read it because you still always are like, is it going to, how's it going to impact them? And I've had some kind of blindsided a little bit by some survivors that I reached out to to review the book or to endorse the book and Tony said people respond where they are in their healing journey and Uh I've got uh, some negative responses from social survivors saying I I just one was very kind of professional about it saying I I, know this really triggered me and I just don't think that I can do this why did you put this that and the other in your book and so I She's like, I just can't. I just can't do it. And I was like, okay. I thought she was at a point she could read it and endorse it, but obviously she wasn't. And then I had someone just literally attack me in an email, and it was same, same. Oh, it was it was heartbreaking. You know, at first I was shocked because I didn't expect that, (laughs) and it was upsetting because Mm -hmm. my goal is to not to help people, not make them get upset. But you know, I talked to my husband about it, and it's like, well this person obviously is really not even ready to begin healing. And it was Mm -hmm. just overwhelming for them to even, and all it was, was the title of my book and an email can review this book. And it was just the title alone was enough. So it made me realize that my intention is to help, but people are going to respond. As Tony said, they're going to respond and Mm -hmm. their own way based on where they are on their healing journey and even if some of these people who just are so negative about it, if some seed is planted that it mm-hmm. maybe that, that will help start cracking them open in some way that they look for help, not necessarily my book, but some help, then it served its purpose, even if it was painful mm-hmm. to hear them talk. But I, I'm really hoping that um, people will find something that helps them in the book. And the book is set up that you don't have to read it all the way through from beginning to end. And it may be a book you come back to. I ask people mm-hmm. to journal when they're going through mm-hmm. the different sections. And it's something that they could come back to. And they sometimes you feel like you're not making progress. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I've been doing the work. Where am I? And if yeah. they go back and look at their journal of what they were writing and answering the questions, that actually might be part of a way to help them see how far they've come. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that, exactly. that's my hope, at least. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's a good way of doing it. When I wrote my book, I didn't leave space for anyone to write anything. I just wrote and then handed the book over to to an editor. And, and then when they did publish me, it was like, um, that's not what I wrote. So they changed a few things around on me. But, um, yeah, I, I too got – you get there's people out there that just don't understand what you've been through. And I think it's, a lot of it's self-denial as well. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just have a lot of empathy and compassion for them because I can think of how when I was at the beginning of my journey, how I might have reacted. Mm -hmm. And it's not personal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's obviously Mm -hmm. it's their situation. It's their place. It's it's their stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. I just happen to be, you know, the the thing that triggered them in that moment. But Mm -hmm. then there's Mm going to be people that are going to be able to use the book in a way that really get them on their healing journey or take it to the next level. So I just have to kind of keep the out in the universe, this idea Mm. that, you know, it's a benefit for whoever can find it. And I hope by word Mm. of mouth and I hope that people who read it will share it and pass it on to other people and really Mm. help spread the word that it's, it's, and it's not me telling you, here's the program. You've got 30 days to work the program. It's not that at all. It's all about finding your own path, you know? So that, that to me is, what I want to share with people is you can figure out your own healing journey. Here's some ideas. Let's work on it together. I'm sort of a mentor on the page for them and give them a little mm-hmm. bit of a, a blueprint and some working space. But really, everyone gets to choose their own way that works best for them. Exactly. Yeah. Denise, the, the thing is, too, that um, lots of people don't consider that they even need healing. So some people that I've connected with with trauma in their background have hidden it, never talked about it, don't want to talk about it, don't want to open it up. But I I think what your book is trying to um, to do is that people need to recognise that if you've been through trauma, you need to heal. If you want to live your best life, if you want to be the best person you can be, then you have to do the work. So hiding it, not talking about it and shoving it back deep down in your life, it's not going to work because it's going to show up in some other way, either as mental health illness as a physical illness or in your personality. And I think that if we can get across to people that you can live your best life, you've just got to do some of those things that work for you, that help Mm. you heal. And Mm. it's very individual for people, isn't it, Denise? Like some things Mm. that work for some people will not work for other people. And it's about finding what helps you most. So your um, journey through art and photography and yoga and uh, meditation, some of those things are good basics for everyone, no matter what the trauma is, those things generally will help you start to heal, won't they? Yeah, I think it is a book, although it specifically was written for survivors of sexual abuse. It can definitely be sexual assault. It can be trauma of any kind. I really think that the practices are about finding ways to come home Mm -hmm. to yourself, finding ways to be present in your body, finding ways Mm -hmm. to uh, explore your joy and connect with your joy again and connect with the person that was existing before the trauma occurred. And we don't want to just be survivors, right? Survivors to me, I never liked that word because that means that you're almost like barely living, you know, you're you're just going through the motions. And that's why my book is called Thriving After Sexual Abuse, because that's where we're trying. Because you can. Absolutely. You most definitely can thrive. And, And isn't that the way that you want to go through life? Like, don't, don't you want to just be so enjoying life and uh, feeling happiness and joy? And, I, like, from my personal perspective, 
I didn't realize what joy and happiness was, despite having moments of joy and happiness, you know, birth of kids and and that sort of Mm. thing. But I didn't understand what true everyday joy and happiness was until partway through my healing journey. So, and to live from that perspective of, of joy, gratitude and happiness, it's so much a better way to live, isn't it, girls? Yes, yeah. yeah. Mm. And just a real appreciation for what's there. You know, I never was able to take in any of that joy. And if something good happened to me, I was like, okay, thank you. Yes. Off to prepare for the next disaster, you know, that I expected to happen. And all the books that I've read around resilience and overcoming trauma, it's really about taking that in, taking that Mm. good thing in, even if it's like you said, and a beautiful picture of a sunset over snowy mountains, you know, Mm. anything that you can do to really build up because we're rewiring our brains. We were trained Mm. when we were abused to think a certain way. The world's a scary place. People we love can hurt us. Um, People hurt other people. You have to be on guard. You you should be ashamed of what happened to you. All these things that were, you know, put into our brains Mm. from outside. We have an opportunity to literally rewire our brains into the way that we want the, our brain to be and mm, be yes. in a place of thriving and appreciation and joy. So that's what the work is. All of these things really are just rewiring yourself and you have the strength. Imagine the strength to get through what we've gotten through and that strength yes. we have can redirect it to mm. help ourselves. That's dead right. And I agree fully. Yeah, and it's Definitely about living that best life, not just going through the motions of daily life, the get up, the go to work, the et cetera, et cetera, but actually enjoying moments of beauty, enjoying moments of connectedness. Um, but, you know, I get immense joy talking to kids and our guests every Monday morning. It just mm-hmm fills my life with gratitude that I get to talk to amazing human beings across the planet about a whole range of subjects. And if they're authors, all the better. Mm-hmm. Um, it <laughs> is a better way to yes. live life. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. I fully agree. Mm-hmm. It's um, When you're grateful, uh, life changes. It really does. When you're grateful for even the little things, you know, uh, being sexually abused isn't fun. It's fun for no one. No. But uh, unless it's the perpetrator. So as a, as a, a young woman um, that was taken away from me, I was always very fearful. And and mum put it down to my being naive. Well, I wasn't. I was hiding under the couch as much or under the table. I didn't like people very much. But it also made mm-hmm. me into being very observant. And I still have that yeah. trait with me. That's why I'm I'm a writer. I'm very observant about. I, I'm a watcher. I like to watch people. People think it's a bit creepy, but it's made <laughs> me a better writer. Yeah, and I think there's things that we did to get us through those situations. Now, some of those things are dysfunctional, and we want to recognize that we can mm-hmm. let those go now. They no longer serve us. But some of those, we develop certain kinds of strength, like you said, strength of observation. Yeah. You know, strength of character, determination, grit resilience. I mean, we develop so many things that we don't have to throw away, that we can keep and keep building on to be part of our thriving life. Mm. I agree. Denise, with so many amazing books um, and such a diverse life, what 
is next for you? Well, I do have some other book ideas that are, I've kind of had in the back of my mind. People have been asking for a book, too, in, in my fiction series, Glamorous. And I have a, a couple of young adult stories that I have in mind as well. And I I have been teaching photography classes for a while. I've recently been doing it on Zoom. And I'm thinking of actually making an online course um, from the photography, which I really much enjoy. So there's a lot of things out there. I, right now, I'm kind of taking a rest <laughs> because it was such an intense thing. You know, and the book just came out last month, but I've got projects that I'm going to keep pursuing because I love being creative. And when you get a project that's not kind of like always in your mind, always wanting to be worked mm-hmm. on, it kind yeah. of pulls you into it and that's gets right. you involved again. It's like mm-hmm. they, they pull you into it. You don't have to go after them. They're like, hello, right. come work on me. <laughs> I thoroughly agree on that one. So can I ask you, if you had the chance to advise a younger you or a chance to put your arm around that child, what would you advise them to do? To just hang in there. It's going to be tough and it's not going to be easy, but you can do it and it's going to be wonderful. I'm in a great place. You're going to become me and you're going to love who you are. So just hang in there and believe in yourself. Fabulous. Yeah. And that's the biggie, isn't it? And no matter how old old you get, you have to believe in yourself and believe mm-hmm. that your message is actually going to, even if you just help one person heal, you've done your job. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Denise, I had another question about the um, flood in Texas because mm-hmm. – um, Back in 2017, we suffered catastrophic flooding across our property and the shock from that natural disaster was traumatic in itself, but it was a different sort of trauma. I'm just wondering if it affected you in similar ways to us. So we... um, we had expected heavy rain. We knew it was coming. We'd done all the things that we needed to do to prep, but it was much, much more rain than was anticipated. And waking up the next day to our place completely, the mud, there was mud everywhere. There was a foot of mud just everywhere. And the shock was like a physical smack in the stomach. So I'm just mm. I'm curious when you talked about flooding for you and the loss of your um, camera and photography equipment what was it like it was I was just going to say when you were talking I was thinking about the the way it felt physically and that punch in the gut is really it just knocks the wind out of you you know you hear about natural disasters all the time in the news and you feel for these people but I had no idea I had no idea yes, how yes. incredibly overwhelming and traumatizing it was. And we yes, went from yes. a three bedroom house full of stuff to an eight by 10 storage unit that wasn't full, Yes, you know, and, yes. and we were fortunate to be able to stay with people while our house was worked on. And we actually got hit by a second flood that wow. knocked us out of our house. And then we stayed out of the house and eventually sold it and moved because I couldn't go back. I couldn't go back. And they were in between no, the first and I- second flood mini scares where I'm throwing sandbags out trying to protect the house and praying at night and it it was just I just was completely shut down you know I I was barely functional I was going through what I needed to do I had to focus on okay we need to do this for the insurance and you know one thing at a time and we had great support from our church and 
from work mm-hmm. and I was a zombie. I was just moving through, yeah. trying to yeah. get through all of that. And, you know, I not only lost my cameras, I had all my prints, all my matted prints, all my frame prints, you know, I kind of just stored them in our house and in one of the rooms and, you know, everything I had was wiped out. And so it just, it's loss. It's stuff. It's Mm -hmm. just stuff. My husband was fine. No, but it's, but still, it's just, it Mm -hmm. was really, but it was a different, like you said, it was a different kind of trauma. It's a different Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, and you know, I'm an adult now, so I actually have a lot of agency and being able to do things to take care of what it was. So that was kind of what helped me get through. I'm a person that's, you know, I make a plan and I work the plan, and you know, that's how I kind of do my life. And that was able to help me get through. And it was, I, I think, some of the things that I learned through my abuse and through the healing got me to a point mm-hmm. where I had the resilience to be able to survive that without I was say, completely shutting down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember was, the, you know, the physical feeling. I remember that zombified, like uh, that zombie <clears throat> feeling that lasted for a couple of weeks where it's just foggy and I there's I can't remember. I just remember feeling like a zombie. And then it's the sense of loss and grief. Mm-hmm. And yes, they're just things and yes, we had our life, but realizing that you'd lost the kids' baby shoes or you'd lost mm-hmm. some of the uh photos <clears throat> and, and memories and and books from their childhood and they're irreplaceable. Probably not a huge amount of monetary, but the the loss but conversely, realizing that there was resilience, realizing that we could get through it, realizing that we were okay. But the biggest thing for me, Denise, was that the community surrounded us with love and help and and healing. And I had never experienced that from human beings before. Right. So to be able to experience people bringing us meals, people bringing us replacement plants, people walking around in mud for days and days and days and helping us clear a space so that we could actually move into the shed and -hmm. live for the next 10 months. But I would never have experienced that beautiful side of humanity had we Mm -hmm. not been through that big traumatic event. Mm -hmm. And and I'm grateful for it. It it wiped away a whole range of things that we didn't need. We mm-hmm. simplified our lives. We simplified what we kept. We got rid of loads of junk that we didn't really need. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, I think that having been through childhood trauma, you learn to find something. Once you've done some of that healing, you learn to find the bright side of a, a natural disaster um so i just yeah i just wanted to make that 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 point about often um there's not just one trauma in our lives there's numbers of traumas so if you don't learn to heal from those very first traumas then it's going to make it difficult because i saw people who went through that same flood deeply and irrevocably changed for good mm-hmm. like just shattered Mm. and I remember thinking I hope that what I'd been through previously 
was the resilience that I was experiencing now. Mm. And did you feel that way too, Denise? I don't know that I actually recognized it at the time. You know, my, my mantra for my husband, he he's can be an emotional guy. I, I sometimes am the more masculine. He's the more feminine. And, and I kept saying, we'll figure it out. I didn't have an answer, yeah. but in my yeah. mind, I was just confident. And I would say to him, we'll figure it out. We will figure it out. And I don't know if I would have had that confidence if I hadn't done my healing and known that yeah. I could figure it out for other mm-hmm. things. There yeah. was some core of me that was like, we're going to figure it out. It's going to work out and we'll get through it. And so that that is still when things come up and we're not sure what's going to happen, you know, with jobs mm-hmm. or, you know, moving, whatever it is. It's like, we'll figure it out. We learn together that we will figure it out. Mm-hmm. And we'll have help from our families, help from the community. Like you said, that people step up in amazing ways when you're in need yeah. to give you that support. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate that we can do that for natural disasters, mm-hmm. but we can't yes. as readily do that for people who have gone through abuse. Yeah. So that would be my wish for the world is that we could mm-hmm. bring that same sense of community and help and, and generosity in response to people when they reveal that they've been abused and to believe them, to support them without question. So maybe that's something we can aspire to all of us. (laughs) That that I was going to very much so Denise, I I was going to bring it back to that. If, if uh, abuse survivors had that same level of community, community, empathy, help and compassion, Mm -hmm. they would all heal so much quicker if Mm -hmm. they were believed. So if there's a natural disaster, you're immediately believed. That Mm -hmm. is taken off the table and out of the equation. Mm -hmm. But when you're an abuse survivor, there are always people who are going to doubt what you say. And Mm -hmm. that's part of the difficulty in the healing process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we had that humanity that just embraced victims and believed them in the first instance and did whatever they need to do to keep them safe, happy, healthy in that first instance, we would change so much about Mm -hmm. humanity because from my research, I know that, that childhood abuse leads to lots of different criminality um, often, you know, for the the male, um, our male counterparts, abuse affects them in a very different way. Mm. And often women have the options of healing, but men don't. And they delve into criminality and drugs and prostitution and uh, further abuse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So by if we as a human community embraced our victims and did what we do in natural disasters, Mm -hmm. then we would have different outcomes across Mm -hmm. the world, wouldn't we, Denise? Absolutely. And people would heal so much faster. You know, the shame and the fear of rejection is a driving force for a lot of the people not sharing their stories, for not getting healing, for not seeking help. And like you said, if you remove that from the equation, then that would be transformational immediately. And, you know, there's people that can do that, that are people that are actually, that's how they approach it. Medical health professionals, Mm. medical people, uh, doctors, lawyers, uh, therapists. There's a lot of people trying to do that. But unfortunately, there's sort of the structure in society, the Mm. fear of 
can that possibly be happening? This person can't possibly be the monster that this other person is describing. Mm. You know, there's a lot of reasons yes. why people don't want to believe you. And there's That's a lot right. of fear. Um, but I think that we just need to recognize that there are some shining lights of people who are able to support and recognize and empower and lead people to, to the place where they need to go. Uh, we just need more people that can do that. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, Denise, we're getting towards the um, end of our show. I just want to take this opportunity to just thank you for coming on the show with Kaz and I um, this morning and sharing your um, books and your journey. I just, when I looked at at all of your books and and just realised there's such diversity in the types of books that you create, I was just in... um, awe of what you've created the art books in particular and and the healing that art and creativity bring to people um and then to see the non-fiction um your book glamorous and i know you've written three is it three short story prequels for glamorous yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes so the three mm-hmm. stories for glamorous and you're hoping to write another in the glamorous series yes uh-huh Yep. Fantastic. (laughs) How exciting for you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, Tony and Kaz. It's been wonderful to to share our thoughts around being Mm. thrivers and encouraging others to to find a way to heal for themselves. I think that's wonderful, the, the encouraging words that you have and the sharing of your stories. I think that's just so helpful for people to know that they're not alone and that they can change yeah. their lives. The most powerful thing that we, powerful. we can recognize is that we are women and we are healers and nurturers and that we can help uh, in many different ways uh, be part of a, a bigger community. It, it is happening slowly, slowly, slowly. Women are being recognized that, it's not all being guns and roses. So I think um, that's a very powerful thing within ourselves that we are nurturers and healers and and maybe it's our job. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree, ladies. I think that the, the we will see in the next decade a rise of beautiful feminine strength mm-hmm. designed to heal the world and create yeah. solutions that will help humanity. Mm-hmm. And on that note, my lovely ladies, Kez, thank you so thank much you. for co-hosting with me Bye, again Denise. today. Denise, thank you so much for your additional time um, and taking the time to appear on our show today. We wish you every yes. success and I look forward to seeing what happens for you over the next 12 months. And that, my gorgeous listeners, is the show for this morning or this afternoon if you're listening in the US. Thank you, Kez. Thank you, Denise. And over to you, TJ. Bye for now, Bye-bye. everyone. Bye-bye.